0: The Whiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. The rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody. Welcome on back to Baseball well, Casey
1: History was On this, uh, and this week's episode, um, we're going to talk about Matthew's weekend at the Baseball Hall of Fame for the induction ceremony. As most of our listeners know, if you've been a long-time listener, he's a uh, curatorial intern at the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he goes back every year for the induction weekend as a volunteer. Yep. And I was, getting, I was getting text updates throughout the weekend of the cool stuff he was getting to do. So really this episode is going to be more about Matthew than anything. Um, so I'll just turn it over to him and let him start wherever he wants with it. So I guess i briefly talk
2: about how I got to be an intern. Um, I applied for the internship in January 2019. I only applied to like four museums altogether because I was basically hedging my bets and just going in on, on the Hall of Fame. I applied for two positions because they told you you can only apply for two, and I did curatorial and collections. And then a month later... Explain the difference on that. So curatorial is basically, you know, you take the... It's more like exhibits and you take like, you know, how to tell a story about the object, the artifact and collections is more of preserving and storing you said artifact. So there's like a difference between it. like, you know, curatorial, you tell the
1: story, and you make the exhibits happen, come to life and collections. You just maintain what will eventually become what you curate. Right. And store, you know, and, and for future
2: generations. And so a month later, I got a call from John O'Dell who was one of the curators at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Excuse me. Uh, let me see. His title, if I can find it. Here we go. He's the Curator of History and Research at the Baseball Hall of Fame. We did a phone interview. It went well. I told him about myself, told him about Syracuse, told him about all this good stuff, how much I love baseball history, whether it be Major League, Minor League, Negro League. Alabama high school baseball history, what have you, you know, and he was impressed. And then maybe a week later, I was in class at Syracuse during my tourism museum and heritage sites class. I can't remember. It was like a Tuesday or a Thursday. I don't remember which one, but um, I got, my phone was on and I were watching a movie and I got called in class and I looked at my phone and it said Cooperstown, New York. I thought, oh my God. And Small. I like, yeah, and so I, had, and I knew I, where I was coming from. Right, and I excused myself out of class to take that phone call, and I talked to John, and John offered me the position, and without hesitation, I accepted.
1: It's one of those things you don't turn down.
2: Yeah, and like, and after that, I accepted, especially we
1: were, what you were studying at Syracuse.
2: Exactly, it, it's part of what I need to do. I had to have an internship in order to graduate, in order to do my thing in Syracuse, and this was perfect. And you know, the whole time he was talking to me, I was fist pumping. Fist fist pumping.
1: Like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot better of a museum to be a, a curator at than, like, for example, the Salt Shaker Museum in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You know? Right. You know, I mean. Especially for a guy like you. Because I remember when we were 13 years old playing for Coach Henderson. Yeah. You were the guy. You could be, like, 1937. You'd tell us everything we needed to know about that World Series. Yeah. You know?
2: Now, I told, after that, I obviously told my family right afterwards that I got it. But I kept that secret from the rest of my friends until, like, May. Because I didn't want to, like, have something happen between February and
1: May and I don't get to do it. And I was I Kind of like, like how folks that get pregnant and wait until everything's good. To, right.
2: <laughs> you know, because I'd look like a fool if, you know, I told people I didn't get to do it. Mm-hmm. But then May happens and I'm in Cooperstown. Of course, I told everybody by then. And everybody's like, yes. All my friends were happy. They were fist pumping. High fives all around. That was great. State. Yeah, and so I go up there and it's May of 2019 um, I am one of 18 interns that year there's 8 guys, 10 girls and we all got along great so, so as an intern what do you do day to day? so be, I was the only one that was in the curatorial department there's a lot to do obviously one right off the bat we well, Almost every week we'll get new artifacts to come into the hall. They've been accessioned into the hall's collection,
1: right? Like guy hits a grand slam in his first major league at bat. That yeah. baseball's going there, right?
2: Exactly. One of those things, and one of the items that I would do at least three
1: thousandth every... hit the bat comes. Like... Yeah
2: one one thing that I would do at least every week, if not every other week, was to create labels and files for the new artifacts mm-hmm. in the hall of fame. And I was I'm sorry. I'm sorry. are
1: you are you handling the objects as well?
2: No. They just I, I'm not handling the objects when they come in like that. That's collections. Leah, who was the collections uh, intern that year, she handled that. She hold she held them. But um I know, she she's the so lucky awesome. one. And also she also works at the hall full time now, doing working in the education department. That's so, a
1: possibility for you at some point?
2: Yeah, I mean I have the experience that they hire former interns. So once again, I'd like to congratulate Leah for getting work at the hall full time. She's been there for like about a year now. Somebody with leadership, exactly. You know, yeah. If she's listening, congratulations, Leah. As always. But anyway, so like I had to create files for these new artifacts, and I would have to research, like go on like Baseball Reference or ESPN or MLB.com
1: and figure out made it pertinent.
2: Yeah, and just like you know, print out those pages and put it in the file, and then create a label. Because at the end of one of the exhibits of the Hall of Fame called "A Whole New Ball Game," there's a section in the exhibit called "This is" or "This Year." I'm trying to figure what it's called, but like, like recent, like today's game or something like that. And like, if there's an artifact, you have to create an, a. I tell you, so you have to create a label for like if, if that's if that certain artifact can go into the, the today's game uh, section of the exhibit. And create a label for that, or create a label for it in the locker room exhibit where it shows off. It's it's you know there's lockers of all thirty teams represented, and there's like artifacts of recent players. That's just a
1: rotating cast of characters and the things that they've done to get sent there. Like I'm sure the Braves have some Acuna stuff in there right now, yeah. Like that.
2: And so we had to, if I can find. So I had to write two different labels for this stuff, and both these labels. It had like different word counts. For example, if I could find it, I'm reading off my, I had to write a, a paper about my internship for my Museum Studies program. And so I'm reading off it because, you know, it, it had certain word counts I had to do, like I had to meet. For the today's game section, the label had to be like 45 words or less. For the locker room, it had to be
1: 25 words or less.
2: So you can imagine trying to figure out what to say in 45 or
1: 25 words
2: or less to make this... It's tough to
1: convey importance in that few words.
2: Right. You know, and it's tough, and it challenged me. But eventually, I, with the help of John and the other everybody else in the curatorial staff...
1: Yeah, and guys that have been doing it for years. Right. Me, here's how you do this.
2: Yeah, every time I would write one of these labels, I would let all of them... Look at it and give me advice and their feedback and edits and whatnot, and it helped me write these labels and realize. Yeah,
1: a little critique's nice.
2: Yeah, you know it's good to have some pop, some feedback, you know, and it really helped me. You know, it just it, it taught me how to write labels for these exhibits and realize that hey, you know, try to try to convey what you need to say in in a short amount of words, you know. So that was something that really that's something that I did like on a very like a day to day basis you know, or a week to week basis, you know, constantly throughout that 10 weeks I was in the internship. Another thing that I did for most of the internship was the photo documentation assessment. And this was where I had to go throughout the Hall of Fame, throughout all the exhibits, and take lots and lots of photos of the exhibits, right? In different angles and everything. And that took some time, as you can imagine. Because you had to make sure, you know, and of course you had to take duplicates of said angle to make sure that you got the good shot of, of the exhibit. Yeah, you
1: got a back them in. You want to make sure you get the stamp on it. Yeah. And you want to kind of get where pine tar is at. And yeah.
2: Long ways,
1: right. short ways. Yeah.
2: And it's so th- this was tricky because, as you can imagine, during the summertime, the Baseball Hall of Fame is packed with <laughs> people. So one way... There were times where it was just hard to take a picture because everybody was in the way. So one way I combat this was either I would do it, I would shoot the photos like like right when I got to the Hall of Fame when there was like hardly anybody there, like 9 a.m., 10 a.m., somewhere out there. Or I would come in like one or two hours before I was supposed to come in and take the photos in because there no in the Hall of Fame.
1: So you said during the summer it's packed. Yeah. So is it kind of a seasonal business, like during the winter when baseball is not going on and everybody kind of forgets the whole thing a thing?
2: I would say it's a seasonal thing. That's it's wild. It is wild, especially the show. You know, I don't
1: care what time of year it is. That's one place I've never been to, which you've been to multiple, multiple times. Multiple since. times, yeah. And you're ported there every day for the whole summer, you know? Yeah. That's one of those things, like, how, how, it's kind of wild to me, that's seasonal, because if you're a baseball fan, that's on your bucket list to check off all 30, sta- all 30 stadiums and the whole thing.
2: Yeah. You know? And of course, you know, being in New York, the snow is going to be
1: is great. I didn't think about that either.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, it, it may be in the fall, but this is more of a summer thing, right? You know, and the shops and restaurants
1: are mostly seasonal. You know, after, like, October, most of them close down, it seems like. So kind of like that little small, like, Texas football town where they're up the sidewalks at 6 o'clock on a Friday to go to the game. Yeah, something like that, you know.
2: It just... Yeah. And another thing that was tricky about the photo documentation assessment, and this is a good one. So there's an exhibit at the Hall of Fame about baseball cards called um, Shoebox Treasures. And there's a section in Shoebox Treasures called the cards your mom threw away. And so and then the section started, man. <laughs> in this in, <laughs> in this section. There are there in the cards from off way section. There's baseball cards from like the 1880s to today or 2019. And there these certain cards are like kind of mounted on these little slide out uh, shelves that you can pull out. And there you can see cards on both sides. We go to like the 1980s section. Let's say it's like 1986. I think it was 1986. We're getting to holographic baseball cards. And these certain cards had three different players on the card. And you had to look at the holographic card at a certain angle to get the
1: player. It's kind of cool. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. And yeah. I got an expansive baseball card collection.
2: Sure. Yeah, and this was this was more pertinent to a... I guess it's not much of the photo documentation assessment as more as the other, like the first thing I had to do was called the living Hall of Famers assessment where I had to go through the Hall of Fame and find artifacts of the living Hall of Famers and mark it off the checklist. In 86, that was it. I think, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was Ripken, maybe it was Noel Ryan, maybe it was George Brett on these holographic cards. I had to look at that holographic card and find said player, and if he's on there, you mark it off,
1: you know. I'm just imagining you over here in the light, just turning the card at all different angles with a monocle, like... Yeah. <sighs> I can't figure out who's who. It was... And talk about those cards, man, really cool thing, I was talking about... Literally two days ago, I was talking to my mom. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, baseball cards are kind of hot again now. They had the dead period. They're kind of hot again now. Those, especially, especially, and then those digital baseball cards, but that's trash. I would never participate in any of that.
2: Well, they have for next, I think they bought
1: tops or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some of my parents' friends, um, somebody had owed them some money or something. And they're like, I don't have any money, but I can pay you in factory sets of baseball cards, 1980s and 1993. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> you know and okay cool so my parents bought them off of them yeah and those are all of my dad's closets they hadn't been open since they got put there and i am really wanting to go through those with my dad oh wow and just see what's in there you know there's like there's definitely a hall of fame rookie cards in those you know and stuff yeah. that's definitely worth what they probably paid for those cards i think i said they get 200 bucks and it's like 40 boxes of baseball cards factory sets. Yeah, man. It's just... You know, and <laughs> either that or I'm going to try and buy them off of them and do it myself and keep all the money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. Baseball cards are wild, man. Yeah. I hate that they faded because I got a bunch of factory sets myself.
2: That's this crazy, man. But, you know, and then... So, here's a good one. So, another assignment I had to... Like, just like how I had to, you know, write and scrunch down words, word count for the labels, I had to edit and shorten the biographies of the 2018 Fort C. Frick Award and the J.G. Taylor Spink Award winners, which were Bob Costas and Sheldon Auker that year. I had to, you know, I had to shorten their biography, a whole bunch of words to, like, maybe... 65 words. I had to be 65 words. So you turned a
1: Wikipedia page into a paragraph.
2: Yes. Maybe two if I got lucky. But yeah, so I had to do that. Which, you know, and again, I had John and everybody else in the Hall of Fame curatorial Department helping out, making edits, suggesting things, suggesting to add or cut things out. And I got them. I edited them down. I took a couple pictures of what they looked like. I'm showing Patrick the pictures that I have of both Bob Costas and Sheldon Ocker's biographies for 2018. I felt I did a good job, and I think the rest of the Pure
1: Toy staff did a good job. So those placards that are on their exhibit, you wrote what was on the placard.
2: Yeah. I took that, you know, it's, and it's cool. It's like I have something to show for, you know, like if people come in the Hall of Fame and they look at the freaking Spink Award winners, which I think it's not called Spink anymore, but whatever. They look at the award winners and they see those biographies, they're like, Matt did that. That's something Matt did.
1: And when you went back this weekend, you probably got to see those and were like.
2: It's right. And it's like, hey, awesome. I, did, I did that, you know? <laughs> it's it's so, so it's rewarding at the end. It really is. I mean, the whole the whole experience was rewarding. I learned a lot. Um what else? So, and of course, you know, at the beginning the the first day of the internship. John gave me this long list of what we're going to do. There's all these different tasks that so I So
1: basically, like you're going to learn what I do from yeah. beginning to end.
2: And yeah, when we're going through this, and
1: my initial thoughts,
2: I'll be honest, it was kind of daunting. It was a little daunting to look at that and think, man, I'm going to do all that. And then, he, and then after we went all through, he's like, hey, there could be some things on here that we don't get to because of time constraints, and that's okay. But, you know, majority of stuff, you're going to learn a lot. And I said, that's fine. You know, and after that, I was like, know,
1: I know I can do this.
2: John picked me to do this for this summer for 10 weeks. I could do it. I know I can do
1: it. And you said there was only one of you.
2: And there's only one. I'm the only intern in the curatorial department.
1: Like, uh, membership, they had like four interns. Membership, as in like, what yeah. do they do? Sign people up for the, like.
2: Yeah, sign people up to be members of the Hall of Fame, to donate money to the Hall of Fame
1: yearly and get the. Memories and dreams. So they're called calling people and
2: yeah, they're doing, doing
1: manual tasks.
2: Yes, they're doing that, and you know, and then like uh, the education department. Well, I, guess, I
1: guess I'm not going call it menial because they're funding the Hall of Fame. Yeah, by doing that, but
2: and like programs, they have like three or four interns.
1: What does like, programs do?
2: So like they they set up, and this is something I did during my internship. They set up um, programs in the Hall of Fame where they do this something called Artifact Spotlight. And this is this is where I actually held some art, some artifacts. We're doing this artifact spotlight myself and two other interns, Garrett and Jamie. We're in a group and we have these three artifacts that there are um, that are together with one theme. They're all related to interleague play. And I wish I could remember all of them, but one of them was a number from the Fenway Park scoreboard when the Red Sox beat the Marlins like twenty-seven to eight in two thousand three. Like right before they got Jack McKeon, it's won kind of topical series. how the
1: tables were turning with the way the uh, Red Sox got blown out the other day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that
2: was yeah, that was. I saw that. A uh, Damn
1: football score.
2: And they lost another the the, the Alfer, Another outfielder lost another ball in the twilight at Fenway. The Fenway. The Friday night Fenway twilight, and he didn't hustle after the ball. That got me so mad, Friday man. Dude.
1: I think we can talk about that.
2: Yeah, we uh, on Facebook, I made a post about he
1: it. You just stood there and looked at it. You're a big leader. Go chase the ball down. I'm in my damn men's league. Right. And I get better effort out of guys on my team than that.
2: You know, I'd be- you know if I was a manager, I'd bench him. I'm like, I'm oh, positive.
1: I, oh, and he's getting a fine.
2: And he's getting a fine.
1: You know. Might even sit him down. Screw it. But
2: back to But back to the artifact spotlight. So, like, I did. there were three items related to interleague ball. And you had to tell stories about them, and then you, afterwards, after you tell a story about all three artifacts, you ask the audience, "What? What do you think?" Oh, certain, so this is in front of a live audience. Yeah, it's in front of a live audience of like maybe uh, okay, 20, like, a, like a tour crowd. Yeah, like 20, 30, 40 people in a little room. You know,
1: so kind of like what goes on like a yeah. museum tour kind of deal.
2: Yeah, and so I, I would tell them, I would say, "Hey, this is you know these balls are well artifacts are they have one thing in common? What is that?" And most people would say, you know, some people would say interleague baseball. If they don't get it, then I would tell them interleague baseball. And the programs people, they're they they they're the MCs of this thing. They're like, hey, welcome to the hall. I'm so-and-so, and this is Matthew Carter. He's going and to. You just
1: got the notes.
2: Right. I got the notes, and I'm just telling, you know, I'm, t- I'm telling the story. So I had to do that. That was one thing that every intern had to do. It wasn't specific for my department, like the photo documentation says here. Every intern had to do that.
1: So I've known you for a long time. Was it hard for you to get in front of groups like that and things like that at first?
2: It was hard. I got a little nervous. You're kind of like me.
1: You're a little shy. Now.
2: I was shy, for sure. So like the second time, so I had to, we had to do it three times. The second time I did it, there was this old guy who was just like interrupting the whole time. And I was just, I kind of like lost my mode. I, I sir,
1: sir, please right. pipe down.
2: Right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get me. We'll no do time. Q&A
1: at the end. Please pipe down.
2: But well, I was kind of embarrassed afterwards. I was like, "This guy stole my thunder," and I felt terrible. And Jenna, who was one of the program interns, she turned to me and she said, "You, you did great." And she, she, she gave me some confidence after I said, "You did great." And then we got back to the collections to bring back the, um, bring back the artifacts. And Leah was there, and she asked, you know, how did it go. And Jenna said, Jenna spoke for me. She said, "Oh, Matt did great, but there was this old guy
1: who's just a real jerk, and he just."
2: interrupt him all the time, and, and you know, I was like, well, thanks, Jenna, you know?
1: <laughs> I hope that man's listening right now and knows that like, you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... I,
2: <laughs> and afterwards, I got used to, like, the third time I got better with it, and of course, there was this guy named Nathan, Nathan Tweedy, who was, who was a part of the education department. He was, like, critiquing us and, like, you know, giving us feedback, leave us notes, about what to do and what not to do during the presentation. So his his um his criticism helped too, you know. His notes helped, it's like his feedback. So that helped me a little bit. But man, that that second time I did it with the old guy, I kinda like I just kinda like lost I, I didn't lose it, but I was like he kinda stole my thunder. I kinda like, man, this probably everybody
1: can tell you're a little bit flustered by it. Yeah. But I was like, I'm not gonna yell at the guy because,
2: honestly I don't want to get in trouble.
1: <laughs> well yeah, that's not your job. Yeah you're not a comedian you can't fire back at a heckler. yeah you're you work at a museum you know yeah and it's just it was
2: and of course you know before we did all this Nathan Nathan showed us how to do a artifact spotlight like the second week there he's like hey this is what you're supposed to do um, just watch me do it like we watched
1: him with a group and he just described these two artifacts. You know, Like, this is Ken Griffey's bat from this game and did this and did that, and you just kind of a rundown of the item. And yeah,
2: so what he did for his presentation, it was like, here's Charlie Finley's orange baseball that he tried to implement, and here's a Shriner's Fez, or no, a Mason. Freemasons had the Ty Cobb War because he was a Freemason. What do these two items have in common? Both Cobb and Finley were Freemasons. At one point, they're part of the Masonic Temple or something like that.
1: Well, kind, of, kind of like that. Yeah, Here's a little bit of this, a little bit of that.
2: Yeah, and like
1: what meets in the middle.
2: Yeah, and um, and Nathan helped because Nathan was just great. You know, I mean, he now works for SUNY Oneonta, I think, but he was just great. You know, of all the staff members, you know, Nathan. I mean,
1: outside the curatorial staff members, Nathan, I, I really liked along them. So SUNY Oneonta and uh, State University of New York on your honor.
2: Yes. Yeah. Except up there, they pronounce it onionta. We
1: call it onionta down here. Well, oh, because we're southern and they're Yankees. Yeah,
2: tomato, tomato. You know, onions up
1: there, man. I still say we won the Civil War.
2: Oh, man. And so.
1: For those of y'all that don't know, we live in Huntsville, Alabama.
2: Yeah. If you haven't got that by now.
1: <laughs> people that come visit call it Huntsville, but the people who are born and raised here, it's Huntsville.
2: Yeah. And so. i like you know, and um, so here's here's a um, so this is where you know how I do these shortstop articles. Well, everyone, great. This is where I this is where it all began. I start. I did my one during the internship because everybody, all the interns had to write at least one shortstop article, and this was John's idea. The subject. He he said, "Hey, Matt, why don't you do?" your a shortstop. Article on the advertisement poster from eighteen eighty-eight that advertised old Judge cigarette baseball cards, and I said, "Okay, sounds good." Because we had like a picture of it in the shoebox treasures exhibit. So
1: I used to get baseball cards and cigarette packs too.
2: Yes, that's, I never
1: knew that. I always thought they were just in like little gum packs for kids and shit. And they, then they would stick them in their bicycle spokes and room.
2: Yeah, they they stuck they stuck cards and cigarettes before they did that one. Gum. I did not know that. Yeah, that's how the baseball cards started, and they were, of course, you can read the article. It's on the website. It's called "Judging Car- Judging Baseball Cards" or something like that. And the cards were basically like cardboard stiffeners that you put in a cigarette package to make the cigarette, you know, the cigarette package like um, t- like harder, you
1: know. And yeah, because back in the day, we were all soft pack cigarettes, yeah. and like Marlboro, you can still go to the store and buy soft pack Marlboros. And it's like, yeah. Instead of the cardboard box.
2: And, you know, John suggested that. And I went for it because I was like, sure. And the best part was in the Hall of Fame's library, they had a book specifically about the old Judge baseball cards. And I used that heavily as a source. And it was so convenient. I was like, this is awesome.
1: So you used a book out of the archives. Yeah. To write your article.
2: Yeah. And, of course, they they had 11 Hall of Famers on the poster like Cap Anson and King Kelly and Old House Rapper and all these guys, you know. And, uh, of course, I had the Hall of Fame. I had the curatorial staff checking it out, making sure it's okay. And then I turned it in to
1: Craig Muter, who's the PR guy at the Hall of Fame. So you would go to the to them and go, hey, I need to look at this poster. Mm-hmm. And they'd lay it on a table for you and you'd just put the white gloves on and kind of...
2: Actually, no, because... The poster itself is on the Hall of Fame's website
1: in the digital collection. Okay.
2: So I, it would have been cooler if I did that, but it was more easier and more less time-consuming to do it on, on Pastime, which is a digital collection. And I checked it out, and it looks great. And, of course, you can see it on the website
1: today. And I'm sure it's high-quality photo because there's high-quality people up there at the Hall thing.
2: Yeah, there's great photo Mickey... Mickey, uh, Mickey's somebody who does the photo, he's a photographer often, he does great photos. Um, and so I turned into Craig Muter, who's a PR guy, and he told me he was going to get published on September 3rd, and sure enough, it got published on September 3rd after my internship, and it was great, and you know, mm-hmm. and then afterwards, you know, like I said, I, uh, in 2020, they, needed, they didn't did have interns, they needed help writing more shortstops, and I jumped at the chance, because, do with all my, with all my assignments I had during the internship,
1: I only time to write one.
2: Others were wrote like two or three, but I was like,
1: I don't oh, have time. I'd love to write one. Yeah, but but
2: you know, that's not my
1: avenue. Right?
2: You know I mean, it's just um, it's real, it, it, it really helped me, you know, write more articles. I mean, that was my that was my step
1: in the door to write more shortstops.
2: You right. know. And I answered the call, you know, after <laughs> after the internship. So so
1: we're talking about baseball cards, and you just talk about cigarette baseball cards. One question I meant to ask when we talked about baseball cards earlier: Does the Hall of Fame have one of those T two hundred six Honus Wagons? Yes, they do. Oh, yes, Is they do. It mint. I
2: believe it's mint. Yeah.
1: We. Oui. <laughs>
2: yeah, that'd
1: card, man. That'd be crazy if they didn't have it. I, I, yeah, I, we were talking about that. That's one thing. That T yeah. two hundred six Honus Swigert. That is a D card.
2: It's that card itself, along with like ten other rare baseball cards, is on display in the Shoebox Treasures exhibit.
1: I'm not sure why that's the card. Can you tell me why that's the card?
2: <laughs> Rumor has it that Honus Swigert didn't like cigarettes, and he just had them destroyed or something. I don't remember the whole thing. All right, let me see. And so they're yeah. so rare, and of course they're over hundred years old.
1: Yeah. Okay. It was it was issued over two years from 1911 by American Tobacco Company. Yep. Oh he didn't want kids buying cigarettes to get his card, and that's what it comes down to. Right.
2: And then eventually they, eventually later on they moved to Bubblegum. Yeah. But cards of
1: But that's the card. That's the card. That's the card.
2: It's it's something else, man. It's, yeah, I
1: am just curious. Like, I figured they did, but if they didn't, there's something going on, going wrong there.
2: Yeah. So, you know, and um, so there's one, so there's a couple of things. So like one more thing is we had something called the recent acquisitions case, which highlighted a few artifacts that you could, that we just recently accessioned into the Hall of Fame's collection and we put on display, this little display case in the lobby outside the art gallery. And John told me to go through this list of uh, recently acquired artifacts that we acquired in like 2018, early 2019, and just like make a list of things that you think that I thought that I it would go into the this display case. And so I made a list and that was where that hose nozzle from Fenway Park in 2011 came from. I didn't know the backstory of it. I just thought that was a unique artifact to put in there.
1: For those of y'all, we, uh, we've talked about this also on the podcast before. I'll give you a little background on that? Uh,
2: there was... Uh, who... Uh, there was the... There was this groundskeeper at Fenway Park. Didn't he get...
1: Uh, David Meller yeah. is his name. Um, he got ran over when he was the groundskeeper at Kansas City by mm-hmm. a guy that drove a car onto the field. Mm-hmm. And um he had PTSD and stuff from that and he He also his his German Shepherd, his support dog, passed away about a month ago. And I hate I hate to hear that, because that was his buddy, because was always a part of his he, he's on that Instagram at uh David David Meller, M E L O R. Yeah. All lowercase, just David Meller. But um phenomenal Instagram follow of how the inner workings of how groundskeeping works and green turf management and stuff like that. But back to you You
2: know, and so 2011, they have this hose nozzle, and I just thought, you know, because he used it, and because of his backstory, and how now he's with the Red Sox, and he's using that at Fenway Park. Yeah, I just thought it was a unique thing. I wish I knew. I, I
1: wish I could remember the whole story. I'm sorry, man. It's it's fine. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I was playing ball in college, you know, before the game, the players are doing field work. Yeah. My favorite thing was to be the hose guy. Yeah. I love spraying the infield now. Get that. <laughs> you know, it's, because there's a technique to it.
2: Mm-hmm. It is, yeah.
1: I was I was good with the chalker and I was good with the hooves. And I kind of wish I had gone to school for green turf management and just, but I ended up being the guy that does the grass of like Hoover High or something and not the big league thing probably, you know, but. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so after I made this list, I'm like I picked 22 items that I thought would go in this case. John told me to go down to the, to look at the case and imagine what items could go into the case. And I looked at the case and I'm like, you know what? Obviously, you know, all these 22 items are not going to get in this case. Like I I, picked, I, never, I had a painting, I I picked a painting of baseball hall of famer Morgan Bulkley, and I realized that's not going to be displayed properly in that case. You know that was that's not going to work. And so after I did this, John told me to divide the list into first, second, third choices to start, and then start files on these new artifacts. And of course, I put the hose nozzle as one of the first choices. And the best part was, he, um, you know, I gave him after I did the, that, and I gave him the list. And when I came back to the hall in twenty twenty one, I saw that recent acquisitions case. For the first time since my internship and that hose nozzle and like three other artifacts i picked were in that case and i felt i was very
1: proud. i felt like it's proud and humbling
2: i was yeah that's what yeah proud and humbling that the curatorial staff at the hall of fame took my opinions of what goes into that case into consideration and made that happen for some of those items
1: and some of those odds might have been there and gotten poor already. Right. Because they didn't get enough, you know, pop.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it makes you feel really good to see that come to life. I so mean,
1: when you turn in that list, did he say, did he ask you, like, hey, why this side and why that? Or did he just take the list and be like, we'll look at it?
2: He just, he was basically, he didn't really, yeah, he basically just took the list and we'll look at it. But he didn't, didn't really ask me why. He may have, but I, from what I can remember, I don't remember him asking me, hey, why do you think this should be in the in the case and why do you, you know, give me your reason. He didn't really ask that, you know. And But it was fine, and just seeing that in there, and even if it was still in there, the items were still in that case when it came in this year. They didn't change it out, which was strange. But still, just seeing that, along with the St. Louis Browns pennant and these... Um, This baseball charm bracelet that had like, you know, uh, logos of like teams that were going to be in the World Series that didn't. I was reading
1: an article about bracelets like that. They used to be big back in the day. Yeah, I was reading an article, um, shit, probably two three weeks ago about that. Yeah,
2: Yeah. and this this bracelet was interesting because like they were, I think most if not all of them were like low, like little um, charms of, like, logos of teams that were going to be in a World Series that never happened, that didn't get in the World Series that year, that it says on the chart. It was really fascinating. It was just, like...
1: The article I read was people were getting them, and the teams they had seen play in person, they were adding charms to their bracelet. Yeah. and like, That's really cool stuff. we don't do anymore.
2: Yeah, like that, the hose nozzle, the St. Louis Browns pennant, and a Dodgers jacket, like a rookie jacket from, like, 1948 or something like that the yeah, Brooklyn doctors Yeah, yeah, and so those four items, you know, I picked down. They got in the they got in the case, and like I said, it was very humbling to see that in person. I mean, I can write about that on my resume and my cover letter, but it's another thing to see that in person and then take a picture and have proof of that. Right. Yeah. Like, wow, this really came to life. They took consideration. Of my opinion of what should goes into that, what what should go into that case. So it was very great, you know. That was I. Had, another thing that I had something to show for for my internship, you know. I I don't really know how else I can strike. It. it. was just that good, you know. It's good feeling. And so and then there, so most of these items not items most of these tasks I was able to complete except for like two. There was one task I could not complete because. There's a little like there's a little kids section in the hall of fame called the Sandlot, Sandlot, Kids Clubhouse, and John was like, hey, you know, you need to like go on Pastime, which is the digital collection uh, database of the hall, and like you know locate the accession numbers of these artifacts that's in the Sandlot Kids Collection, uh, Sandlot Kids Clubhouse, right? And I I hit a brick wall of this because I couldn't find them. I couldn't find any of the accession numbers on Pastime. And I told John this, and he contacted the education department to see if they had the accession numbers. Well, they didn't have them either. So John said, "Just forget about it. Just skip it. We're not going to worry about it. Just keep on doing your other uh, your other um, uh, tasks." So that was something that's like, you know, it, it, it taught me a lesson that not every artifact in the Hall Finn has an accession number, and that, you know that you can look up on Pastime. So, strange, you know. Yeah,
1: there's some other things, I feel like, you know, that yeah. they have, but they're, I'm sure they have a number in their catalog in the back room. Yeah. But they're not, they're just not deemed worthy of being photographed on the internet, I guess.
2: Yeah, something like that. And, you know, maybe because it, and, I mean, they are artifacts. They're, they're treated as art, in the same
1: Every Everything is an artifact.
2: Right. But I guess maybe because it's in the kids' section, it's not... Maybe in high regard as some of the other artifacts in the hall. I'm
1: not 100 percent sure,
2: but for whatever reason, none of those artifacts were
1: on past time. I couldn't find these session numbers. And I'm sure they have a good reason.
2: Yeah, yeah. And John's just like, forget about it. Don't even worry about it. We're just going to keep moving on to the next task. And um, sounds like he was a phenomenal um, mentor. He really was. Like he just, he was so. We got along so great, just easygoing. You know, him and I had a lot in common. We both. We both have our master's degree in museum studies, or something similar to that, and bachelor's degree in, like, history, and we both took time off in between bachelor's and master's to work, except he, I'm sorry, what? Oh,
1: I said, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Except he worked for the National Park Service
1: in between that time,
2: and I worked at public. in I think that'd perhaps- be so cool. That would be cool. That'd be something I'd be looking to just look
1: apply jobs there. yeah. You know? Um, I've been looking at it. It's kind of it's kind of tough to get into.
2: I can imagine. I mean, it's anything. It's it's kind of a coveted position.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want to be the ranger. That's like showing the kids, like, oh man, you see this rock with this lizard. And, yeah. You know, but yeah, I've been looking into it. It's not really a feasible thing.
2: No, and like him and I are also Episcopalian, so that was cool. You know, something it's something unique, and just like we just got on break, he was just one of the best just the best boss and just so supportive and I could always talk to him
1: You know. I hate to I hate to phrase it like this but you're a nerd for baseball yeah and he's a nerd and for he's baseball. a nerd for baseball yeah we so got, y'all got along
2: we all are fantastic yeah and everybody in the curatorial department
1: you know you got you got Marvel nerds and DC nerds and Hockey nerds and baseball nerds and football nerds. Y'all are both baseball nerds and y'all got along like two pieces in a pot, that's what I feel like he's happened here.
2: Yeah, I mean we just got along so great. And like everybody in the curatorial department was great. Um like I said, like my friend Liam, he worked he helps install exhibits at the Hall of Fame with his boss Mike Fink. You know, they both do that. And then I'd love like, to
1: have Liam on the podcast. He put, uh, I saw that picture of you and him up there, and he just looks like a really fun Irish dude. And I hope he has the damn accent to go with it. <laughs> he does, he does.
2: And he has some stories about because sometimes during the induction weekends in the past, he would like help
1: pick up Hall of Famers from the airport and drive to Cooperstown. Oh, but that's the best job.
2: He has some good stories about that.
1: Picking a little brain on the way out of the Cooperstown, you know?
2: Yeah, and then like
1: because I know what I know. You told me with what you do. You can't really, you don't get to really mingle with them. You get to see them. Yeah, you know. You're pretty in the same room of them. Right. But you can't really you not really fan drawn back in the... Dream. No. Let me get that autograph, Poppy, you know. Right,
2: you can't do that. You can't ask for autographs or pictures for the Hall of Famers. Because that's a no-no. That's a huge no-no.
1: It's kind of a bummer.
2: It is a bummer, but at the same time, they don't
1: want you to be all fanboy or fangirl over. Yeah, you're there to do a job. Right, they're there. And it would be really nice if they would get them all to sign you all of all.
2: That would be nice, or at least the, the current inductees of that year, you
1: know. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, right? the guys out of that year it'd be really nice to all fans say, Hey, sign these I don't know how many volunteers there are. Sign these dirty balls. Yeah, you know, I'm sure it's more than like dirty, but
2: <laughs> it's just like yeah, there's there's a good number of volunteers. And everybody, you know, I mean Mike and Liam were great, and then like other there's other um other curators in the curator department like Tom Sheber and Gabby Augustine, and then there's john's boss well john everybody else's boss eric stroll and he's like the head honcho curator and he's cool too and they were all great and um i'm I'm trying to think of other people like mary quinn and and danny i mean they were just all they all made me feel comfortable doing they made me feel welcome and comfortable and i felt great being there you know
1: well i never forget the conversation i had with my old man um, when I saw on Facebook you had gotten that gig. And go, I was talking to him like, Dude, Matt Matt got a damn job at the uh, Hall of Fame. And he goes, perfect guy for it. Mm-hmm. Straight up. That's it. Straight up. Yeah, <laughs> just goes, perfect guy for it. That's all I had to say about it. Yeah.
2: And so, and then another, so this is, this is a good one. Another assignment that I had to do, I had to update the exhibit scripts of two exhibits at the Hall of Fame, the um, Viva Baseball exhibit, which is about Latin American baseball, and the Autumn Glory exhibit, which is about
1: the World Series. So Viva Baseball, it's um, and, uh, uh um, Captain Pirates died in plane crash. Um, oh, Clemente. Clemente, Clemente, Clemente. That's kind of that kind of exhibit with yeah, him, no, and,
2: him and him, and of course Big poppy and Yadier
1: yeah. and all these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, Graph son's bopping the baseball bro. Yeah, Vlad junior's great. <laughs> He's bopping the baseball
2: Like father, room. like son. And so, and this is a new concept, this was a new concept to me. Because when you think of scripts, you think of television and movies. You don't think of museum exhibits. Right. So that was something that was eye-opening and I learned from, like, wow, I didn't, and basically museum script is like, what, you know how this exhibit is going to get laid out and what artifacts are going to be displayed on the exhibit and what the labels are going to say under said artifact it was really eye opening you know and it's so, almost logistical yeah it was yeah logistical somewhat I and mean, it, it 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 brought it brings order to the exhibit of how you want to tell the story and display the exhibit and the artifacts in the exhibit
1: we want to tell a story strong but also you don't want to tell it too short, but you don't want to tell it too big if it's not that big of a like, So that's why it's like there's a balance there that you have to kind of find when you're writing these things, too.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, it just, it's really, it was really, I'm on the
1: outside looking in, you know, so. Yeah, but
2: it's really fascinating because that, this was something that not even my museum study classes at Syracuse or even
1: Harvard told me about.
2: So this was like, wow, there was something outside of my, my classroom. So that's I what cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, What?
1: Forgot you did Harvard. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, 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 for those who don't know, I did a... Uh, I have a graduate certificate for museum studies and from Harvard University's online extension school. It was it was a pro- great program. There was only... I only had to take four classes to achieve it, so I took a class a semester between 2017 and 2018, and it was great. And, you know, that's all I, that's all I can say about it. It was just great. It was a great experience and helped me get into graduate school. So the autumn of Glory updating the autumn glory script that was easy that was not difficult it was great the viva baseball script on the other hand was a whole nother ball game because there were multiple artifacts in the in the viva baseball exhibit and in the script that were missing from both the exhibit and script it was a mess and this was partially due to the fact that some of the artifacts And that exhibit belonged to recent Hall of Fame inductees like Vlad Guerrero in 2017 and Pedro in 2016 that that didn't or not 2015, excuse me, that did not make it back to the Beaver Baseball exhibit after they were shown in their little display case for that year. Because when when the new inductee gets inducted, they have their their own own little box. They have their own little display case to show off their artifacts that they've donated to the Hall of Fame. But, you know, for whatever reason, after some of their recent inductees, those is, those uh, artifacts do not get back into the exhibit. They go back to storage. And they forget that whoever does it forgets that they're in the exhibit to be shown. So there was a lot of missing artifacts in that exhibit and it was glaring. And I'm like, yeah, this is this." But is things
1: exhibit. that I wouldn't notice. Right. But, but you having worked there, you're like, where's this baseball bat?
2: Yeah. yeah. And it was just, oh my god, that was a nightmare. And of course... Being an exhibit about Latin American baseball, there's both English and Spanish labels for the artifacts. Excuse me. So, if there were art, and so this is how I did: if there were artifacts that were currently in the exhibit that were not in the script, I had to write both the English and Spanish text labels
1: in the script. And so you learn Spanish on this job, also.
2: Yeah, and of course, I took
1: Spanish classes in high school and at UNA.
2: But I'm not fluent in Spanish.
1: And the Spanish we learn is not true Spanish.
2: Right. You know, it's, a, it's just beginner Spanish.
1: I can tell you I like pork rinds, man. I took Spanish in high school with, um, I forget her name, uh, White Lady. Probably the same way you took expansion with in high school because we both went to the same high school. Brinkley? That yeah, Miss Signora Brinkley. Signora Brinkley. Brinkley, yeah. I had her for two years. I can tell you I like pork rungs. That's about all I got that's all I saw about that's about all I got banked up here. Yeah, it was her. chicharrones, you know? Yeah, it was her and Chavez. <laughs> they were the two. I guys. never had Chavez. I guess she was kind of the toughies.
2: That's why I've heard too. I had Brinkley both both uh freshman and
1: sophomore. She years. used to open up class and read us um that book. Um I don't know what you're talking about. I can't think of it. Um, something about Maury or something like that. Oh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I can't think of it. She, she, she was a saint. And now she's
2: retired.
1: You know, She was a saint. She was great. She was man. awesome. I, I enjoyed having
2: her. But anyway. Signora Brinkley. But going back, of course, in order to, you know, and of course, the labels in Spanish were not great because as John told me, he's like, hey, we paid this dude to like do the Translation in Spanish. And he didn't really do a great job, and it's just kind of like you know all over the place. And I'm like, well, that's fantastic. Type in in Google of, uh, and
1: see what happens here. Is yeah, what's about to happen. So they
2: basically, I guess, they ripped off the hall in that sense. Whoever did that for him, <laughs> uh, Gracias. Gracias did not. Uh, so, but I, mean, course, I guess
1: these days you got Google Translate. You can just plug it in.
2: Yeah, and of course. Taking the photos of the exhibit during the
1: photo documentation assessment, it
2: helped me do the, you know, tr- you write down the script and write down labels in the script of both English and Spanish. And so that helped. And I gave it to John. And, of course, it taught me how the Curatorial Department in the Hall of Fame lays out the display of the artifacts in the exhibit and how they keep up to date with said artifacts and what's in the exhibit. So that was a very, I, I that was gratifying as well as frustrating. Hey, because You made it a
1: lasting change.
2: It made a lasting change. Yeah, you know they're like, "Hey,
1: they're so doing something now that you, as an intern, implement, which is awesome. is is awesome."
2: Yeah, great. It. I'm like, "Hey guys, we got." At home,
1: I just threw up the OK symbol. Matthew, like, hell yeah, yeah.
2: You know? Like, hey guys, we got to fix this, man. We got to go find these artifacts and put back in like case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, and of course, there was one. So there's one article that I I I kind of finished. I mean, article. There was one task that I kind of finished, but it wasn't great because I didn't have a lot of resources to finish this task. And this is what happened. So one of the tasks was John asked me to write an article for the Memories and Dreams magazine for the Hall of Fame. And this was going to be a bigger article than the shortstop, right? There's going to be a lot more words. And I had to write one about this artifact about Johnny Bench's 1968 Topps All Star Rookie Team trophy, which, you know, if you've seen it, it's like this little batter on a top hat and it's a gold trophy, a little gold trophy.
1: By Topps baseball cards.
2: Yeah, Topps baseball cards. Topps, Topps would do this. All-Star rookie team thing. And, like, if you made the All-Star rookie team... You got time. a
1: special card in the box for next year?
2: Yeah, a special card in the box with that little trophy on, like, the bottom. If
1: you have a pack, it's going on you were looking for. Yeah.
2: It's, like, on the bottom left or bottom right corner of the card, you see this little trophy. And he has an actual trophy. They gave him an actual trophy for making the All-Star rookie team. So, this was tough. Because you could find article, So, you could find information about the first seven uh tops all star rookie banquets from the first one in fifty nine to sixty six. Anything after sixty-six, which includes Johnny Bench's year of sixty-eight, couldn't find anything on it. Checked in vain through like newspapers.com
1: and everything, couldn't find any information on it. Why is it black? Why is it what? Why is it black? Why can't you find it?
2: I don't know. Maybe because the news lost interest in it or maybe I couldn't find it Maybe I didn't have, like, the Baseball Digest or Sports Illustrated or, you know, what have you. Sports story news, maybe they didn't cover it. I just couldn't find any information about it. And so, and then John's like, well, why don't you talk to Marty Appel who was a former PR guy at Topps? And he also, he's written baseball books. He wrote a biography about Casey Stingle a few years ago. Well,
1: yeah, I guess being in the Hall of Fame, you have connections to these guys and you can get those questions. Right? Yeah, so yeah.
2: John gave me Marty Appel's Email, and I emailed Mr. Appel saying, "Hey, Mr. Pell, I'm Matthew Carter. I'm in of Fame. I'm writing this article about Johnny Bench's Topps All-Star Rookie Team uh, trophy, and I'm trying to find more information about the
1: banquet and you know about the gray years that you can't find."
2: Right, and he said, "Look, you need." And Appel answered me back <laughs> saying, "You need to talk to uh, another dude
1: at the." At Tops. So they kind of sent you up the ladder a little bit.
2: Yeah, so he told me, he like said, Hey, you he
1: got the answer? This guy might kind of deal.
2: Yeah, he just passed the buck and he said, Why don't you talk to Clay Larashi L U R A S C H I, who at the time, and maybe so is, is the Tops Vice President of Product Development. And so I contacted Clay via email and then he passed the buck to the Tops PR person, the current one at the time. And all she did was just send me links to Wikipedia articles about the All-Star Wiki teams.
1: Which she had already looked at.
2: Right. This was no help. This was not helpful.
1: She just got pushed in a circle.
2: Yeah. And then there was also talk of a
1: possibility of
2: myself interviewing Johnny Bench for the article. And John had me type up five questions. I wish I could remember what the questions were. Like Type up five questions to ask Mr. Bench and he told me to send it to... John who was also known as Shesta. So when people thank think Shesta in their Hall of Fame induction speech, they're talking about John Shestakovsky. He told he's me an he's, agent? He, he, he is the Hall of Fame's vice president of communication education.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So he's, he's in touch with all these guys that are ball players and have things in the Hall of Fame, I guess. Yeah. He's kind of middleman down between the Hall of Fame and the players?
2: Pretty much. And so John told me to write five questions to Shesta. And to see if he could set up an interview. Well, the interview never materialized. Oh, that would've been so
1: freaking cool if it did, bro. That'd been the highlight of like for knowing you as long as I've known you, that would have been the highlight of like your baseball fame like that. right there. right Your head would have exploded. You'd have been in an interview... uh oh
2: Mr. Pinch. Because i I have met three Hall of Famers in my lifetime at the Brickwood Classic in Birmingham. And they were not like interviews. I was like, hey, it's my ball and maybe some small talk and thank you and that's about it.
1: Yeah. But uh, Goose, I'm that Goose there. Um who else? I met
2: no at no at, at the Hall of Fame at the Rick Classic I met Harmon Kill in two thousand ten. Sick one. Ferguson Jenkins in twenty thirteen and Raleigh Fingers in
1: twenty sixteen. I've not met Goose. I thought Goose was you're right, I got Raleigh and Goose backwards
2: because they both have sweet mustaches.
1: Oh man! And they're well, both relievers. If y'all at home can see my uh, facial hair right now, I'm a mustache guy. So I'm, I'm big on the mustache people.
2: You're getting close to the Napoleon
1: the Third look. I like it. Um, Sonia hates it because I look just like my dad. <laughs> And so,
2: you know, writing that, trying to write the article for the Memories and Dreams uh, News uh, magazine was challenging. And I basically, what I did to try to finish this thing was, I basically just wrote a, you know, I basically just wrote like a summary of like the history of the all, the Tops um, All Star Rookie Team. Trophy and the banquets and whatnot. I turned it to John. I said, John, this is the best I can do. This is the best information I could find. And I feel that this is due to the circumstances and time constraints, this is all I have. And he said, that's fine. You know, that was a little disappointing, but I did the best I could on it. And in all honesty, I didn't think it was going to get published, and I don't think it has. And If it was going to get published, I personally feel that I would have to have a co writer on that to actually talk to Johnny Bench and maybe do more research and find out about the 68 uh,
1: banquet. Because it's like a little more clout than you have, kind of deal. Yeah. Like Like a guy from like Fox or ESPN or something.
2: Right. Somebody like that. Because in all honesty, I was like, this is not. I mean, that was the best I could do with that situation, but it was. I just didn't think it was good enough to make the uh, newspaper. Uh, not newspaper, the magazine. Right. So that was a little disappointing. But you know what? One disappointment, or maybe I guess two counting the uh, the Sandlot Kids Clubhouse artifacts. You know, like one big disappointment out of all these uh, tests I had to do, that's not bad. Because, you know, I still got to learn a lot about the Hall of Fame and how to do things. I felt like I was part of the curatorial team and it helped me, you know, get a better understanding of what what it takes to work in, in the museum world as a professional, you know. And so I wouldn't trade those 10 weeks for the world. And, you know, meeting all those people... Uh, people the But 10 all weeks, weeks
1: isn't a lot of time.
2: No, 10 weeks is
1: not. I bet it went by like that.
2: It really did. And, you know, having great... We all all the interns got along with each other and that was great because apparently the year before apparently some of the other interns were kinda of clickish and didn't all get along from what I've heard.
1: That's crap, man. If you're is up here for ten weeks, have a good time, enjoy baseball. It's right. not
2: fun. And we did a lot together. We played wiffle ball every Wednesday out in the parking lot at the dorm in Sunnyoniana. I'd have
1: been using Double Day Field
2: for wiffle ball, but yeah. we could have done that, but you know, we we didn't want to travel all the way
1: back to Cooperstown for honest so we just we did okay. So like I didn't that. live in Cooperstown. I drove every day, right?
2: We stayed in the dorms at SUNY Oswego and drove every day. How far is that? It's like 30, 40 minutes, something like that.
1: That's a haul every day.
2: It is a haul. I mean, we had to leave like
1: I, mean, I, I would always Y'all I'm sure I carpool and stuff. So.
2: We did carpool, like you
1: know, my and I. Our Matt you know, drives on Mondays. Steve drives on Tuesdays, kind of deal.
2: Yeah, something like that. Dep- and then of course, like if I
1: like on the days I had to go in early, I just drove myself. I'm like,
2: don't even bother with me. I'm just going to go in early. You know, it's all good. And then we went to a Mets-Braves game in 20, in June of June 2019. We went down to see them at Citi Field. Because Cupertown's kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? It really is. It's in the middle. One thing people need to understand about New York, there's a lot of pharma in New York. There's a lot of small towns. And it's just, there's a lot of nothing outside New York City or Syracuse or
1: Buffalo or Rochester, Albany and all these places.
2: A lot of small towns with a lot of, Back
1: roads. It was either you or my buddy little John. Um shout out little John if you're listening. I'm sure you're probably not. But um <laughs> Yeah, his name's John and he's short, so everybody calls him little John. Yeah, of course, yeah. But um he's from up there. He's he's a little older than us. Yeah. Like, he's just one of my buddies that you know got to know Barton and stuff. Yeah. And um he's from up there, it was either him or you that told me like you get off the interstate exit and it's like this one little teeny tiny sign that says Cougar Town this way. Yep. I'm not sure if it was you or him that told me that. I don't remember if I told you that. It's probably him. But it's just in the middle of nowhere. No, it was Sven. It was oh, Sven, Sven that told me that. that yeah. It was Sven. Oh, it was Sven. Um, which I was talking to him the other day once we go on Zoom.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I'd love to have him on for an episode about stadiums because he's been to so many. And you knowledge about so many. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sven last week. I ran into him with the turtle.
2: Nice. And, of course, that Mets-Braves game, they honored the 69 Mets. And this was the infamous 69 Mets celebration where they claimed that two players were dead in the in-memoriam, but it turns out that they weren't dead. Like, they just lost contact with them, and they thought they were dead, but they weren't. I wish I could remember the players, but they were like bit players. They weren't like no, notable players. And the Braves won that game, I think it was 4-3. to three. City Field's a nice stadium, if you've never been. But the best part about all of it, We get on the subway to get back to Grand Central Station
1: to get to our train. Subway, New York subway, terrifying. (laughs) Yeah,
2: well, we were okay. We were okay because we were all together. The best part was we get on that subway to get to Grand Central Station to get to our train back to Poughkeepsie to take us back to Oneonta. I kid you not, Chip Carey and Joe Simpson of the Atlanta Braves TV broadcast team were in that subway with us as as I entered the subway. And I was pretty close to him. Of course, there was people around us. Like, I was kind of separated from the rest of the group because they were Dude, off to Dude, you side. had
1: too many brushes with greatness not to have the greatest autographed baseball of all time.
2: Right? And, you know, we're on this train right to uh, Grand Sulturation. It was like, man, it seemed like 20 minutes. And I knew that I immediately recognized them both right off the because I've watched Braves' TV broadcasts. Right.
1: It, like, I'm a Cardinals fan, but I watch the Braves because that's what's on local cable. Here. Right. I don't, right. I Without buying the package, I can't.
2: And I love me some Chip Carey, man.
1: Great, great broadcaster.
2: And so I was like, well, I can't leave the subway without actually trying to, like, talk to these guys. And so I thought of something because I was kind of amazed that they got down that quickly from the TV booth to be in the subway.
1: Oh, they're done when they're done. They're yeah. out of there.
2: Especially if it's like a,
1: a busy game. Like, you know? I listened to Dylan Hart Jr.'s uh, podcast week, and he's like, hey, when the race is over, I am out of that booth, I am getting in my car and I'm rolling. Yeah. You know, and because he, he's a former NASCAR driver, current uh, broadcast for NBC.
2: Yeah. And so, I asked Chip and Joe, I said, I leaned in, I said, I have a question, and they both look at me. And I asked, how'd you guys get down from the TV booth so fast? And Chip softly smiled, and he said, we teleported. And Joe just kind of gave me this, like, goofy, close-up smile, like, you know, he didn't use that, like, whatever. And then Chip's like, yeah, you know, we, yeah, after we're done, you know, we just, we, after we're done, after a busy game, we just go down. We're done, and I was like, "Cool, you know." I'm
1: gonna do this right here and hang the headset on the microphone stand and walk out and said, "We'll see you tomorrow. Our job's done here." Yeah, that was that was awesome. It's time for a cocktail, you know? Yeah, that kind of deal.
2: That made, I mean, obviously going to see City Field, which I had never been to before, was great. But talking to Chip and Joe in Subway
1: that made that made my night
2: for sure, you yeah. know. And of course, now let's get to the induction ceremony.
1: Yeah, man, because you were up there this last weekend for. We've already had an episode about all of the inductees. Right. Um, but you were up there this weekend for the actual induction. Yeah. I mean,
2: so I'll briefly talk about what I did in 2019, then we'll go to this to this year and last year. My my role for the induction ceremony in 2019 was to help set up the stages for the award ceremony on Saturday, which was the freaking Sphinx winners, and then the stage for the induction ceremony on Sunday. Was so basically, like you set up the podium and the chairs and all that. Yeah, podium chairs, bunting, what have you. You know, the cart uh, the, the drapes to like cover the you know the stage and all that. I set all that up with Liam and, every,
1: and Mike and all these other guys. I really want to have Liam on the podcast.
2: Yeah, he's a character. I mean he's he's not really big into
1: baseball but he just you know he has stories for working the hall. Yeah, um, for things like that. Like anybody you work in the hall with. Those would be good people who are having less on this podcast.
2: Yeah. And they were, and just sitting on stage was great because everybody else, all the other interns had their own um, assignments of what to do for induction weekend. And yeah, everybody
1: gets real call of duties.
2: Right. They all have their own call of duties, yeah. And also, on Saturday, we helped put signs on the trucks for the parade that they
1: take down Main Street
2: after the uh, award ceremony. Yeah,
1: I, I, was, I was scrolling through pictures of that this afternoon, actually.
2: Yeah. And so it was great. Uh, after the award ceremony on Saturday, which at the time was at Double A double-day Field, they get in their they go to this little tent to have like refreshments or whatever, and then they get in their trucks and they go down Main Street, and all these players are standing, around, all these hall of famers are standing around, and I'm like, and I'm like close to them because we're we set up the stage, the stage is on Double A Field or on Double Field, and I'm like that close to them. It was great, and I wish I could remember, like you know. And, and the best part was during the, induction, during the award ceremony, Steve Carlton and Reggie Jackson showed up late for it. And they showed up in two different golf carts. And they were both night and day. Steve Carlton is smiling and he's having a good time. And Reggie is just frowning and serious. And I'm like, I don't want to mess you up. Well, Reggie was James always
1: a serious hard ass.
2: Yeah. You know, and they were, I guess they had something going on. So they were late for the award ceremony, but they made it for the parade. And then Sunday. They're probably partying. I'm sorry. What? It
1: might have been even partying together. They Who probably knows?
2: were, yeah, at the Odeon Saga. A
1: little, hotel. That, a little bit of, you know, of... no. Oh, no, no. so, right with Reggie, it was probably. But. That's,
2: yeah, and so Sunday, we set up the stage some more, and that was all I had to do. And then I just watched the ceremony until it was over. I watched part of it outside, and then watched the rest inside at the Clark Sports Center, which is behind the stage. But before everything. You know before the Hall of Famers went on stage, I wanted to see Hank Aaron because he wasn't there for the parade for some reason, and so I went. So I
1: think that's because of his age and his mobility, and like I'll be here for what's important,
2: right? And uh, yeah, because more than likely he was getting up there in age,
1: rest because in peace, Hammer, rest in
2: peace. And so, unlike <laughs> all the interns, my, my credentials, my, my lanyard, my badge that I wore. It says all access. It said all access. Not all the entrants had that. But because I helped set up the stages, I had that all access badge. So before the ceremony, I went backstage and I saw Hank Aaron and it was great. Didn't say anything to him, didn't talk to
1: any of the other Hall of Famers. Because
2: I didn't have to talk to him. Didn't have to say anything. I was just like
1: there in the moment. It would be so hard for me to be like, hey hammer, great sleep.
2: Yeah. And it, like
1: it, it, just that, just that just hey. And was, then they'd be like, hey Good to see you. Like, I was just lit- that acknowledgement,
2: you know? And I was only there for like maybe one, two minutes. And it was great. And then, you know, the security guy's like, hey, you should go out there. I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go back outside. So,
1: <laughs> But it would be real hard for me. I'd be like, hey, Mr. Mr. Aaron. Right. Pleasure. And just, just bounce after that. Yeah. I know you're not allowed to, but it would be real hard for me not to just get a handshake. Yes. Hey, pleasure to meet you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. And then I would never wash my hand again. It would run off.
2: <laughs> you know, but, but, yeah. But I kept my cool because,
1: again, it's like you're not here to fanboy. That's got to be so hard not it, to, though. It was dude. difficult, but I had to, I had to cool. But you go every year, so it's got to get easier and easier not to.
2: Right. You know, I, I mean, like when I saw Harold Reynolds, he's not a Hall of Famer, but when I saw Harold Reynolds there this year for the, uh, because he's with the MLB network, I didn't fanboy over him because we were both, like, watching TV before the Dutch Ceremony. he was
1: fanboying too. Yeah. Ew.
2: You know? <laughs> and then, like, I saw him in
1: the restroom washing his hands as I was washing my hands, I did fanboy over it, and then wasn't like, hey, you're Harold Reynolds.
2: I was like, okay, cool. He's just a normal dude. You, know?
1: you should have asked him how hard Bo Jackson can throw a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so the Dutch Ceremony 2019 goes off that hitch, and we put some stuff up. But then myself and Liam and a bunch of other people go back to the Hall of Fame because now it's time to install the new inductees plaques. to that's gotta do the,
1: the close part of the whole deal.
2: It was the best part, and Mike Fink, Liam's boss, told me a month before that I could do that. He said, "Matt, after the ceremony, we're going to go back to the Dutch. Uh, we're going back to the plaque so gallery. So You got to hang plaques. Yes, and we go back to the plaque gallery. Holy shit, Matt." And you're more than welcome to help install a plaque. And without hesitation, I said, "Yeah, I'm going to install a plaque. Absolutely, not.
1: Yeah, there, there's you no You got question. to hang a plaque in the Hall of Fame.
2: Yes, they get. He gave me that opportunity, and I did not. I said yes, like right off the bat. You don't say no. No, I. That, there was no thinking. There was no hesitation. You don't say no, you dude. Don't say no <laughs> you don't say no. And the best thing was, so I kept this a secret. I didn't tell any of the other interns that because, once again, kind of like because they'd be jealous. They would be jealous. One, they'd be jealous, and two. And Eddie and all kinds of other
1: crap. You got to hang a plaque in the whole thing. Yeah,
2: and if I told them that and it didn't happen, then I look like a fool, right? Right.
1: So, it's like you don't tell somebody you're pregnant until the second trimester. Like, right?
2: yeah, Same right. tip. Exactly. So I did. Um, so I got to install Mike Lucien's plaque in the induction ceremony. Hell yeah! Yeah, that's awesome, dude. And this. So this is what happened. So Why I'm, did you
1: tell me this? I had pictures on. Were you saving it? Uh, I have a picture on Facebook. I'm you know. not on Facebook as much as yeah I should be, but but yeah, I mean that's awesome, man.
2: And so this you is got a, to
1: hang a plaque at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean that's a once in
2: a lifetime opportunity
0: yeah. to get it turned
1: down, and maybe you'll get one next year.
2: Maybe <laughs> you know I know this year's uh curatorial tour got to hang a plaque in the Hall of Fame plaque gallery. So that's awesome, man. It is so awesome. Now uh, I thank Mike Fink. I thank Mike Fink every day for giving me that opportunity to do that,
1: dude. And so, so you have to hang Mike Messina's plaque in the
2: hall of fame. In the hall of fame, and this is the best part. So here's how it went down. So
1: how's it work? Are you like they, screw it in, or is yeah, so hang it, or
2: yeah, so they announced it. They're like, okay, we're gonna install Mike Messina's plaque. So I come out, and there's a crowd in the in the plaque gallery because they want to see this, you know. And I come out, and I'm holding the plaque, and everybody's taking photos. And I turn this way, and the photographers taking photos. And this way, and the photographers photos. Kind of to the
1: crowd a little bit too, right. give yeah. them a little razzle dazzle. Razzle dazzle, yeah. And then
2: <laughs> I go to the wall and I hold it in place while Mike is just drilling this thing in into the wall, and that's how you hang up a Hall of
1: Fame plaque. I play a plaque and Hall. So it's kind of like it's kind of like pre-drilled in the wall, maybe, and yeah, you just hold it there and he lines it up in holes. Or? Yeah,
2: I mean, I mean, just because, but still, it, dude,
1: it's, you got to hang a plaque at the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame.
2: That's an experience that will live with me forever, dude.
1: Yeah. I'm so freaking jealous.
2: Oh, let me tell you. Oh, dude. I,
1: I know. That it, is awesome.
2: I don't know if I should be saying this, but I know at least maybe one of the interns was fairly jealous. And they didn't, uh, when I posted in the group me, they didn't like it, the post. And I'm not going to name this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know for sure who this is. And I'm not going to name them. As far as I know, this person is probably non-binary. We're going to call them non-binary, but, you know, I'm not going to say, you know.
1: Jane slash John Doe didn't was not happy, but you know what? If they keep contributing to the Hall of Fame the way you have been, they'll get that chance.
2: Exactly. And the thing is, like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't think this was going to be an option until Mike That's team "Amazing, team. dude." Yeah, you know,
1: dude, I am so envious right now. Like, I am. You got to hang a plaque in the Hall. I got dude. to hang plaque time. a plaque in the Hall. You're a bad ass effort. You know that, you know? Like, you know that it, is great, dude. And so, I'm know. not on Facebook much, so I didn't. I didn't really. I
2: didn't see it, so it's all
1: that's awesome. Dude. It's all
2: good if you you follow me on Facebook, you can see it.
1: Hell course, yeah, man! Or,
2: or Instagram. Another hot for yeah.
1: that. that's Awesome, man. Yeah.
2: Man. And so that was that was what I did for 2019 during my internship. Um. So 2021. Sweet. 20, <laughs> yeah. So both I'm tickled. both this year and last year, 2021, 2022, I volunteered for the induction ceremony, and basically. What you do is you set up chairs. Could a person inv-
1: like me volunteer for them?
2: Last year, wait, what?
1: Could a person like me volunteer for them?
2: Yes, you don't have to be a former intern to volunteer. But you have to go. Th- I-, I wish I could remember how you do it because there's a lot of old timers who do this for like many, many years and come back like 20, 30, you know, 20, 30 years like in consecutive.
1: Because I'd love to set myself up to have the weekend road trip with you that you had in this yeah. weekend, you know?
2: Yeah, I mean, and so what we did was like we set up chairs for the induction ceremony. And we hand, during, you know, before the induction ceremony, we hand out um, programs and water to the members who sit in the fancy chairs, you know, and. So basically a concierge. Yeah. And then you watch the ceremony outside. And of course, you know, I don't want to sit on the grass and you can't stand because the people. Who are outside the fancy chair, the fancy chair area will tell you to sit down. So I basically just sit on like a water cooler and watch the induction ceremony from that. And, and of course, people ask for water. Last year, I had help handing out water and programs. This year, for whatever reason, I didn't have help. Like in my section, I just handed out the programs and then just told people just get water from the water cooler because I can't hand it out because it was the end of all
1: these programs.
2: And my hands were cramping, and I was like, oh man. It was a hot
1: weekend, too. Oh, it
2: was hot. And of course, I got sunburned. Even though I put sunscreen on. But it was going to happen anyway. It was just going
1: to happen. You're one of those fair-skinned cats, man. Yeah. I'm just like Sonya. You got to have the SPF 77. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so, you know, and of course, both. So last year was weird because the induction ceremony was on a Wednesday after Labor Day because they pushed it back because of COVID.
1: COVID screwed everything up, man.
2: COVID did. I mean, it really did. But, you know, and, like, there was a lot more former interns last year than there were this year. Last year, we had, like, close to 20, including my my, inter- my fellow intern from 2019, Anthony B. Simone, who has his own podcast called What a Hard Do. So if
1: you want to check that out, go it for would, it. Maybe we collaborate.
2: That'd be cool. I'm, I'm sure he'd be down with it. He currently works for Rawlings. So that's uh, a What a Hard Do? What a Hard Do, yeah. Or I say What a Hard Do. I don't know. I don't know the saying like he does, but uh, he currently works for Raw- Rawlings Sporting Goods, too. So. Is he a glove guy? I believe he's a glove guy. I need right? a glove,
1: so we're going to have to make a connection here.
2: Yeah. And so, what was I saying?
1: My glove, my glove, the inside of my Rawlings hard to hide is about burning out. So, yeah. I, I need a glove, so that might be my guy. We have to have the drive rate, so he can send me a glove. Yeah.
2: This year, we only had, we were supposed to have nine. We only had six interns show up, because I guess three of them had COVID
1: or something else happened. And it's so expensive to travel now. Everything's so much more expensive. Gas prices
2: are expensive. And, of course, inflation all that. And, like, other people starting jobs.
1: I'm not any political, so I'm just going to be quiet about all of this.
2: Right. But, you know, I mean, (laughs) but luckily this year, my other former intern from 2019, Kaylin, she was here. And that was great to see her again. So, and, um, you know. And of course, you know, this year we had all these people get inducted. We had seven people get inducted compared to last year, which we had four. So the speech I mean, so it, it
1: went by fast, though. The speeches this year were great. All of them were great. I have not had a chance to go watch them yet. We I bet Poppies was pretty good.
2: Poppies was good, but here's the weird thing about Poppies. He thanked a whole bunch of his teammates, former teammates, but he didn't thank Manny Ramirez in the speech. They
1: have beef though.
2: I guess they do have beef.
1: No, they right? have beef. Okay. Uh, I forget what it's about, Poppy.
2: What? So after the ceremony, one person, one person from the crowd, said Mitch brought that up, and he said that's a red flag. And have I he said that? No, 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 not no. The the, the the person in the crowd that pointed out afterwards that Poppy didn't thank Manny in the speech, he said that's a red flag that he didn't thank him. And I didn't think much of it because I was just
1: trying to listen to speech. And, no, I think I thought I, I'm I'm not sure, but I think they have beef with each other.
2: Okay, so they probably do have beef.
1: I I don't know much about it's it. It's not my business, man. Um, all I know is, uh, in the words of uh, Big Poppy, Boston is his effing city. Yeah, and he can get that man. Don't gotta pay for a cocktail ever again in that town. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I you was know. just Dude, d- name a name a more clutch hitter than him. You need a home run in the eighth inning. You're down four runs. You Need a grand slam. Sign up, Poppy. He's got you. Yeah, you're know, not, like, saying, you're not saying Joey Gallo out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God, that guy is. I could go play for the Yankees right now and hit the way he Gallo is.
2: Yeah, and you probably get more hit than more hits. That's than what I'm guys. saying, dude. Yeah. I
1: could hit better than he could. <laughs> like, give me a fucking three hours in the damn batting cage over here at uh, the yard out off Winchester. Yeah. Dial it up to 96. Give me three hours on that. I'll go out there and hit better than Joey Gallo can right now, man. Dude. It's a bummer, man. I hate it for that guy, because he's getting reamed. He knows the New York media is tough. Yeah.
2: So, and uh, now, 2021... (laughs) Kelly (laughs) Gallo. Both both years, they had great speeches, but the exception, so like, I'm sure I mentioned this in a previous podcast, Marvin Miller got inducted last year, and he's deceased now, so Donald Fear, who replaced Marvin Miller as the president of the MLB PBA did the induction speech. And it was a good speech, but it ran way too long. And the G-R fans got really restless. And it it went, like, maybe, like, over 20 minutes. Like, there was a point where I went to the Clark Sports Center to go to the restroom, and then, like, I come out, like, five, ten minutes later, and he's still
1: talking. And I'm like, what is going
2: on? I'm thinking, man, Donald's just really talking about his boys. So it's like
1: that principal that gives a way too long graduation speech, and everybody's like, hey, we're just... We're trying to get the stone so they can go drink some beers. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah.
2: But, you know, and of course, both days there was the threat of rain, but and it did rain, but it was after the ceremony after we put up all the chairs. So we they they held off the rain till after the ceremony and after we put up the chairs. So that was what I that was my so that's what you would do if you volunteer for the induction ceremony. You put up chairs, you know, you set up chairs, you hand out water programs, you talk to people, you know, you get fed lunch. I mean, it's just like sandwiches, like turkey, ham sandwich. And it was good. You know, I mean, I, it's good to go back and see people like Liam. I saw Liam this year, and I saw John last year. I saw him this year, too, but I didn't chance to to him this year. But I saw him last year, and we talked last year, and it was good it's just good to go back. It's good to go to Cooperstown. Just get away. Get away from Huntsville for a couple days. And just go and experience the induction the, the, the ceremony of being in New York. Because I try to at least go once a year to New York. With the exception of 2020 for obvious reasons. But now it's like I try to go to New York at least once a year for that. And go see Syracuse and whatnot. So that's basically my Hall of Fame experience from the internship to afterwards if anybody else has any questions about it you can contact me if you have my you know social media what
1: matthew carter on facebook and instagram. are you on twitter
2: yeah i don't i'm not on twitter no you're on instagram yeah i on instagram what's your instagram matt carter 1990 or matt dash carter or matt what's that bar The low bar in between underscore underscore carter 1990 something like that yeah and, of course, you can reach out on baseballhis 101gmailcom And you can ask me questions there. Yeah. know, I had a great time. I That's really cool, man, that you get to go up there every year and do that.
1: And yeah. And I don't have to do it. I could have told them no. But it's like, No, you want to do it because you're that kind of guy. You enjoy it.
2: Right. And I feel like I have some sort of
1: obligation to help the Hall in any way I can because I love the Hall. Dude, it's so really much. cool because you get to see all of these induction speeches. Yeah. The and stuff I have to struggle to... You know, like, make the time on a Saturday afternoon to watch. You're yeah. there. And who cares? You know you're doing work. You're getting it for free, you know? Yeah. and
2: the worst that could happen is get some sunburn, which is going to happen anyway if you're out that long outside. You
1: know? I'm going to get sunburned fishing this Saturday. You know, like, it is what it is. It's, it it's going to happen,
2: you know? So I I love the Hall of Fame, and I thank, you know, John for picking me to do it 2019, and of course – I have to thank Peggy Steele who set up the Frank and Peggy Steele internship program that allows the internship program to thrive in
1: the Hall of Fame. I think it would really benefit us and our listeners if we were able to get a few of these people on the podcast.
2: I think so. I think it would be great. I mean, once we get the Zoom thing set up, we can do it.
1: Yeah. The, once we do that, um so as all that not know, um, me and Matthew live in the same town now. Next Friday, we're recording on... But Wednesday right now, next Friday I move we're gonna try and get a couple episodes recorded in the meantime. But we're gonna to have to go over Zoom because I'm moving two hours away. Yeah. And um, um yeah. if we can do anything over Zoom, it yeah. might even might even be possible to bring all the video element of the podcast.
2: Yeah, put it on YouTube or something.
1: Yeah. yeah, so on YouTube and but uh I think I think some of these Hall of Fame like uh, you mentioned this girl named Leah. Yeah. Who's there full time and you seem to get along with um Liam. Liam for sure. That's yeah. funny here's actually. Yeah. Liam, Liam. I mean it's great, it's the full Irish accent. Yeah, you know, like um and John, the guy that you worked under. Like John, it'd be yeah, great. Yeah. It'd be great, you know, like if maybe we can even become we have to do work on this one. Maybe we can become the podcast podcaster the whole thing. Yeah. I mean they don't that'd really be have, really cool. They don't really have one. That's what I'm saying. We could be that. Yeah.
2: So. We could probably, I mean, the, the equipment's fine, but maybe they could help pay for upgrades for the equipment too. I mean, you never know.
1: You never know, man, but that's something we could look into, man. But I really enjoyed hearing about your time at the whole thing. I'm because glad. Because I've always been curious, like, what really, you know, like it'd be cool to be the guy in the back, back room with white gloves, like, oh, there's only Swagner's bet, you know, but.
2: Yeah. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk about it on the podcast. Absolutely, man. That's what it's about.
1: Yeah. And because. Too- if you're playing baseball history, the Hall of Fame is the epitome of baseball history because they have all of
2: it. Absolutely, yeah. And so it's just, um, yeah, I, that's all I got to say. I mean, this is what basically what the podcast is about today.
1: Yeah, so. it's Matt, Matt's uh, Hall of Fame experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get back with y'all next week with some more. I'm mm. well, We're going to record a bunch and backlog some, but we'll get with y'all next week about some. More like historical stuff. Um, I've got a couple topics in mind. I really want to talk about the crime dog. Yeah, but I really enjoyed hearing about your experience, the Hall of Fame, man. Thank you. I, I just don't talk about it, I man. I love it. Got anything else to add? We done here? No, just um, oh oh. I'm sorry. I oh, I, 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 just had, I just had one question. Okay. The pastime collection. How do you uh, access that? Do you just go to the um, Hall of Fame's website? Yeah,
2: you go to the Hall of Fame's Baseball
1: website. Baseballhall.com?
2: Yeah, and you go under the museum tab, and there should be another tab under that. It's a digital collection. You, you can click on that, and it'll show you
1: their digital collection. And then collection. The pastime collection.
2: Yeah, and it's like... They have, and they have, as of Right now, they have over 13,000 items in the digital collection that you can check out. Oh, and, um, and one more thing. So... I apologize for not bringing this up till now. There, we used to have session meetings to discuss what we can assess to uh, add to the Hall of Fame's collection. Are you okay?
1: <coughs> well, I'm again. I'm good.
2: Okay, so we'd have these session meetings where the curatorial staff and the collection staff would get together in the collections uh, in the basement in the collections area and discuss what items that we can add to the Hall of Fame's collection. And it was a great process. Like, we would present the item, and then we would debate, you know, do we have this in the collection? Is this worthy? Is this noteworthy? Do you think it would be a good fit? And then we would
1: decide yes or no. So I have like a panel of, like, does this deserve to be on the showroom floor?
2: Yeah. And it was just really good. I like I didn't really have a say in this, but it was really good to um, see how you did that, how, how an item becomes a part of the collection. And then also I met This is weird 2019 They were transitioning presidents Jeff Allison was going to leave The Hall of Fame And Tim Meade was coming in to replace him And I met both Jeff and Tim At the Hall of Fame And I met Tim Meade We had lunch there. Like He had lunch with the interns one day And we talked about it And I told him about myself And I had a friend Or I have a <coughs> Honestly, he's more of an acquaintance named Corbin Schindler. And at the time, he was the equipment manager for the Burlington Bees, which was a, a Angels farm team. Because
1: I got a buddy, uh, Tyler Carpenter, that played for them.
2: Yeah, because and I played uh, with him
1: at Columbus State.
2: Yeah, because Tim came from the Angels. He was the PR guy
1: for the Angels. Yeah, he's my buddy Tyler was probably playing for them at the same time this was going on.
2: Yeah, and so Corbin told me before the internship, "Hey, if you get to talk to Tim." you know, tell him I said hello and bring me up. And I said, and I told Tim that. I said, Tim, I had this guy I went to high school with, and he's the uh, equipment manager for the Burlington Bees. And he gives me, Tim gives me the smile because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And his name is Corbin Schindler. Like, you know him? like, yes, I know him. we met, you know. And he, he found out, and I told him, hey, he found out I was doing the internship. He told me to tell you hello. He said, Tim said, I appreciate that. And then I also asked Tim, what was Gene Autry like as an owner for the Angels? Because Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, was the first owner of the Angels. Proud of that. And Tim said Gene Autry was a great owner who loved baseball, loved his
1: players. And he talked about, he gave me some stories, and it was great. So, so he's a stellar owner in the sense of, you know, my talent, I want to make sure you're taken care of. Because he's a guy that was talent. Yeah. You know?
2: Dude could sing, he could
1: act, you know. So he had managers above them, so he kind of probably treated his players respectfully the way he yeah, thinks he didn't get the way he wanted in showbiz. He probably.
2: Yeah, I mean, he loved his players, man. I mean, you know, and he would go after like free agents like Reggie Jackson and all these people and try to get that pennant, but they never did under his ownership. But, you know, it's okay. But it, it like, the, so those are the only two things I want to add. So I'm, I'm done. So we're, we're going to finish this podcast. I'm done.
1: <laughs> all right Matthew says we're done so we'll see you next time we really appreciate y'all listening to baseball history on one as always like rate subscribe review whatever the hell you can do to help us grow our numbers we really appreciate y'all our numbers are growing and we really appreciate y'all hey, like, thank you so much nothing for nothing watching. Say about that, um, yeah and I guess we'll see y'all next time um Like I said, we might have a video on it coming soon, just by the nature of me moving. But as always, thank you for listening to Baseball History 101. I'm Patrick DeVault.
2: And I'm Matthew Carter.
1: Y'all have a great day. Good night.
0: The Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the way. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazowski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially Willie, Mickey and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Cadell, The Thumper and Mel Parnell. And Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball. Klazuski Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, The Scooter, The Barber, and The Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque Especially Willie Mickey and the Duke Now my old friend the Bachelor Well he swore he was the Oklahoma kid And Cookie played hooky To go and see the Duke And me I always love Willie May Those were the days Well now it's the 80s, and Brett is the greatest And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone Rose is at the vet, and Rusty again is a Met And the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington I'm talking baseball, like Reggie, Queez and Berry Talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry Seaver, Darby Schmidt and by the Blue And it's no fluke. They'll be with Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Say hey, say hey, say hey. It was Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Say hey, say hey, say hey. I'm talking with. Say hey.